I went down to um, <coughs> Coles this morning uh, in Hillsville and um, I was uh, staggered to have to pay 90 cents for a lemon. Can you believe that? 90 cents. <laughs> and um, the reason I did that was uh, I really, I must confess, I really do like lemons. Um, but I'm not overly taken with... <laughs> oh, that is even worse than I thought it was going to be. But um, maybe the purpose of that was to show that do you ever come across Christians and it's like um, they're dripping lemon juice? Uh, it's like their face would make a good frontispiece for the book of Lamentations. <laughs> and it's like uh, sometimes you find that even though people have known Jesus for quite a long time, that for many of them there is just no contentment or joy in their life. And some uh, tragically are better as a reflection of a travelogue to hell rather than a travelogue to heaven. Now, why is that so? I thought you'd never ask me because I'm going to answer that this morning when we look at Romans 14. might seem to be um, a far-reaching step at this stage to see what the connection is, but hopefully by the time we're finished, we will. Now, if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Romans chapter 14. Um, if you haven't, I love it, this church. You, you guys have got Bibles in your pews. We haven't got those. It's so good. Unfortunately, our church, they've um, uh, bred into them. You come along and look at an overhead all the time, but you guys have actually got your Bibles, which is so good. Um, just a cursory glance at Romans 14 from what we've read before shows that there is a problem. Um, in this church which was comprised of Jews and Gentiles alike. And obviously the problem which we read about was causing a problem within the fellowship of the church. And first of all, it's in two areas. One, we read in verse 3, where it talks about there, is a, there was a difference of opinion about food. Verse 3 says, The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt, the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. So we have Jew and Gentile together in the same fellowship, but their relationship with Jesus was being affected, first of all, by the background in regards to food. Now their heritage of the Jew and the Gentile was very different. Uh, the Gentile Christians struggled to eat food uh, for fear that it had been offered to idols and therefore avoided that. On the other hand, the Jews had an Old Testament heritage of what was to be eaten and what was to be left and 
both of them had different points of view about what was to be eaten. John MacArthur says this, Paul has in mind the idea of offending a Jew with food that wasn't kosher or offending a Gentile with food that had been offered to idols. And so consequently, we have the Jew saying, how can you eat that? And the Gentile saying, how can you not eat that? And this was causing problems within the church. But it was not only in the area of food, because verse 5, if you've got verse 5 there, it says, one person considers one day more sacred than another, and another considers every day alike. Now, even those of you with a cursory understanding of the Old Testament know that the Jewish calendar was full of sacred days. And of course they were foreign to the Gentiles. And so the problem was is that you had the Jew um, having incredible reverence for a particular day and here's a Gentile out here mowing his back lawn or doing just whatever an ordinary person does on a day. And that was deeply offensive to the Jew. Can you imagine being at an Anzac Day ceremony and in the middle of the last post and as it heads toward the moment of silence, I burst out laughing. What kind of reaction would that be? That would cause incredible offence. Or if uh, I was speaking up front and someone's down there and they've got their earphones on and they're listening to loud music, we would say, what's going on here? Um, the, this is what was happening in regards to this sacred day. It was causing offence to the Jews. And so these two issues of food and of the day was ultimately bringing hurt to the church. So what does Paul say? He says, right out. here's the answer. One, you're allowed to eat broccoli, you're allowed to eat leeks, you're allowed to have chops, but you're not allowed to have pork. And, and then he says, now as regards to the sacred days... January the 15th, you all must, and on November the 21st, because that's my birthday, on November the 21st, you must, does he give black and white answers? And it's fascinating, isn't it, that as we look at this passage, he doesn't. And if you look at the life of Jesus, what did the Pharisees want? When they came up and asked questions, they wanted black and white answers. There was no in-between. And Paul doesn't give those black and white answers at all. So what does he actually say? Well, first of all, the presenting problem was the differences of opinion over food and sacred days. But was that the real problem? As you read the whole of the chapter, you would say, yeah, it seems to be the real problem. I don't think it is. I think that rather it was the presenting problem. A little bit like years and years ago, I loved the youth group service this morning, great job. Um, when I was involved with the youth group, there was a guy came up to me once and he had a packet of cigarettes in his hand. He says, see these? They're my God. I said, give them to me. So I gave him, he gave them to me and we're opposite a big bush reserve. I picked them up 
and I chucked them out in the bush reserve and gave him some of my brilliant wise counsel about cigarette smoking. And then three or four days later I see him and he's going away like this again. What's the problem? Smoking. Now if you've dealt with anyone who's had issues with smoking, there are a variety, that's the presenting problem, there are a variety of reasons as to why people are addicted to smoking. Some as they just plain like it. Others smoke because of anxiety. Others smoke, youth particularly, can smoke because others do it. There's a variety of real problems as to the presenting problem and I believe in this chapter here, the presenting problem is the food and the sacred days. But the real problem, we're given a clue in verse 1, it says, except him whose faith is weak without passing judgment. And then you go right to the last um, verse in the chapter and it says, but the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So the bookends of the chapter are faith. Faith here, faith there. And in the middle we have a description of how their behavioural problem, the presenting problem of the days and the food, was impacting their faith. Um, listen to what it says in verse, 20, verse 13. Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Now, were they putting a, a block of cement there? No. This is talking about their heart. And what was happening was impacting their heart and impacting their faith. Have a look at verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, now, were they just distressed because they were having lamb chops and they didn't agree with lamb chops? No, it wasn't just the fact that they saw them eating that, but their faith was being distressed by the action which they were observing. And then it goes on and says, even um, more devastatingly, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating, now get this, destroy someone for whom Christ died. How, how is it possible for a person to be destroyed simply because they're eating this or they're observing a particular day or they're not observing a particular day. doesn't destroy them physically, does it? What it's impacting is it's impacting their heart, their faith. So the real problem of what is going on here is what is happening in the area of the faith of the people within the church at Rome. The word for stumbling block in the Greek uh, literally means, this must be true because I googled it, uh, no I didn't, I got it at a Bible hub, um, says this, it pictures a traveller who bumps against an obstacle and is caused to stumble. Um, I don't know whether you've ever been at someone's house and um, you walk out into the pitch dark to your car, right? And you know how it takes a bit of time for your eyes to adjust to the darkness. And as you walk out, you walk past the car and if you ever hit a tow bar with your shins, <laughs> you're going like this for the next half an hour, aren't you? And that's the idea of hurt. Guys, what is happening, Paul is saying, 
is you are hurting each other and you are hurting each other's faith by these particular actions. I read this um, rather sad story um, in the Associated Press from America. Let me, let me just read it to you. On the evening of February the 6th, 1996, several teenagers drove the rural roads east of Tampa, Florida with the intent of playing pranks. Tragically, their game wasn't, was anything but funny. They pulled some 20 street signs out of the ground, including the stop sign of one fateful intersection. The next day, three of their buddies, who had just finished bowling, breezed through that intersection without stopping. Their cars sailed into the path of an eight-ton truck and they were all killed. One year later, the three perpetrators of the deadly prank were convicted of manslaughter. And in June of 1997, they stood in orange jail jumpsuits, handcuffs before a judge in a Tampa courtroom, weeping and wiping their eyes. And they were sentenced to 15 years in prison because it is a dangerous thing with tragic consequences for anyone to take down a signpost on a highway. And it is no less dangerous for us to vandalise the faith of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ by developing a judgmental attitude which will hurt and damage their faith. We are responsible not only for our own personal faith and walk with God, but this chapter is saying we are also responsible by our behaviour in terms of how I encourage you or damage you in terms of your own walk with Jesus. We need to appreciate um, the nature of faith. Um, Again, at no expense to the management, I have my prop. Now normally in this is a pieces of lemon slice or even better vanilla slice and um, don't tell my wife I brought put what I put in here today will you um, but what is in here is a lie it's a lie okay and I'm determined to keep it alive um, do you understand that faith is alive when Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 14 about faith being weak that means it can also be strong that means that faith is something that grows the disciples said increase our faith it is a living organism that dynamic of our relationship with God is alive that's why it can be damaged that's why it can be destroyed and I went because you see we've just moved into a new house well as in six months ago and it has rained around our house non-stop for the last six months so our lovely house is on a muddy but a week ago I laid down this on our front area and we now have a front lawn that has been laid down and what was the weather like last week? It was hot have a guess who was at the front watering his front lawn to keep it alive. <laughs> and if I hadn't watered it, it'd be dead. 
And do you realise that the behaviour that you exercise towards each other is either watering the faith of those who are around or it is damaging or even in the words of what Paul is saying, destroying faith. Faith is that which is a living organism. It is part of our dynamic in terms of our relationship with God. So how is faith damaged in this chapter? It's pretty self-evident really. Look at verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Essentially, what damages faith, or what, amongst other things, damages faith, is a judgmental spirit. Now, I became a Christian when I was seven. Okay, I was born in 1944. If you're trying to work out how old I am, I'll tell you, I'm 74 and 75 on November the 21st. That's my second reminder that that's my birthday. Um, and for those of you who are anywhere near my age or past my age, you'll probably understand this better. My dad was a Christian and, and mum wasn't. Um, and my dad's return to Jesus was in, was dramatic to say the most. He heard a street preacher and he came back to Christ. He was converted at 14, married mum who wasn't a Christian and then after they'd been married for a while he was converted, through, he came back to the Lord through the street preacher. His conversion was so dramatic that he had stolen 87 things from people in the neighbourhood and he returned every one of them, including the mower to the guy next door. So it gives you an idea of the change in my dad. And I had arrived on the scene by that time and at a ripe old age of about five or six, he was determined that I was going to be the next Apostle Paul, that I was going to be the perfect Christian kid. And so therefore he drummed into me. No alcohol, no dancing, no pictures, no smoking, no cards, no buying from shops on Sunday because in so doing you were supporting those who were breaking the Sabbath. No study, no sport on the Sabbath and certainly no raffles because that was gambling. Now whether you agree or disagree with those things is not the point of what I'm saying here. You see, Dad's well-meaning way in endeavouring to bring me up uh, put within me a behaviour which found it very easy to condemn and certainly even question whether a person was a Christian because they behaved in a certain way which was contrary to how I was brought up. Now those things have changed over the years. I look out on us here this morning, you're a Brethren Assembly. I was brought up in a Brethren Assembly from 12 to 50 years of age. I don't see one lady wearing a hat. Good grief, what is going on? And yet years and years and years ago, that kind of thing could well have been a factor which determined whether you assessed whether that person was a Christian or whether that person was walking in submission 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, um, with me, in my early years, it became very, very easy for me to criticise and judge others in the quiet closet of my heart. And little did I know that with such a negative and critical spirit, (laughs) I was sucking lemon juice. And the sweetness in my walk with Jesus was evaporating because I'd yet to really appreciate what it was to know the grace that Jesus gives. How do we stop this mentality which we can so easily lapse into in judging others? Now, however did the outline for the book of Romans, I'm now indebted to you for these next three points. Thank you very much. The first thing is one, in verse one it says, accept him whose faith is weak. Uh, if we are to put to death a judgmental spirit which impacts others' faith, we need to accept people for who they are. Now, what do we mean by that? We don't mean deny the basic truths of the gospel or the basic biblical truths of morality. But one commentator put it this way when I read it. He says, there will always be among believers that, that we must learn to accept And the matters Paul is talking of here, the Bible gives room, now get this, for different points of view. And you know what was one of the turning points in my experience was when I went to Melbourne Bible Institute at the age of how old was I? I think I was 24. And I had had a background within um, the delightful Breath Oak denomination probably shouldn't use that word but you know what I mean Um, and they had brought me up to love Jesus and had done much but within me and I don't know whether probably this is more my fault than the the fault of the local church but within me even though I would not verbalise it I found it very easy to think that our denomination was better than others It wasn't that they weren't going to heaven, but we were that little bit better. And then you know what I found out? I found out also, I came across, and this is way back in that time then, so we're talking the 70s now, I found that way back then, there was a rise in the Pentecostal movement and certain areas of that Pentecostal movement were saying, unless you can speak in tongues, you're not going to heaven. Or unless you can speak in tongues, then you are a second-rate Christian. It's the same thing. And so when I went to Bible college, and I think God had really had his hand in this, Melbourne Bible, they're all denominations there. They're all there. And uh, we had a particular subject to do with the sacraments. Okay. And the uh, guy, a young guy who was the lecturer, he said, now hands up all those who believe in baptism by immersion. I proudly put my hand up. And uh, he said, right, hands up all those 
It come from an Anglican or uniting background, or it would have been Methodist then, Methodist or Presbyterian background. And you have uh, sprinkling. They put their hands up. He says, "Righto, all those who believe in baptism by immersion, you are to get the scriptures, and you are to come up with an argument as to why it's possible to believe that baptism by sprinkling is the way." And then he says to these guys over here, "The opposite." It's so it blew my mind. I was like, "What is going on here?" <laughs> and yet mixing with people who love Jesus from all different denominations and looking through and hearing the differences did something to my heart in terms of me learning to accept others with their differences. How would you have coped this morning if uh, all the front row here when, I've forgotten your name, sorry Pat, when Pat was singing I loved his singing song all raised their hands up in there and while we were singing worship God like that now I'm not a hand raiser my wife is, but I'm not because I'm more spiritual because I keep it down (laughs) no, not really isn't it funny isn't it funny that according to what you practice when someone does something different it is so easy to say or think in the closet of your mind that which is negative. Um, it's, it's interesting over the years because way back in the 70s, um, if someone raised up their hand then and did that, it, it, you almost thought they, they were extreme Pentecostal. But now in, in a greater percentage of denominations, people are doing that. Things change. And we need to be able to accept the differences that are there. It's interesting that it talks about faith being weak there. It doesn't talk about faith being, being that which is sinful but weak. If, if I have uh, my little... Oh, they're, not, they're not this big of an one, but if I had one of my grandchildren when they were about 12 months of age standing there, and I said, we're on par, not granddad, are they on par? And I said, come to par. And, and my little grandson walked towards me and fell over. What would I say? Would I castigate him and say, you stupid child? Why aren't you walking? Can't you even walk properly? It's the level of maturity that is there. Now I bend down and I pick that little child up and say, come on. Have another go, Sonny. That's the name of one of my grandsons. Have another go. And that's exactly how it is that we demonstrate that we accept each other. We recognise that we are at different stages of growth in our faith and in so doing, accept such people. Second thing is to remember you're accountable. So the first one was to accept. The second one is in terms of accountability. See verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So why does Paul remind his readers that they're going to give an account to God? In fact, he says you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. Um, I think it's, this whole idea of accountability is interesting because 
I think it goes a bit more than, hey, you're going to have to stand before God. I think it's reflective. He's reminding them that they're accountable because of an attitude they had. Now, in verse 13, there is a word there that is that is um, ugly. That's the best way to describe it. Uh, verse 3, not verse 13, verse 3. The one who eats everything must not treat with, here comes the ugly word, contempt the one who does not. And in verse 10, have a look at verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brothers and sisters? Why do you treat them with, there's that ugly word again, contempt. And uh, I thought, I wonder what that means in the original language, that word contempt. And it has the idea that if I, it's in some versions it's, it's that stronger word, it despise, despise sounds even stronger to me than contempt. But the idea of the word is if I treat you with contempt, I think you are nothing. But I not only think you are nothing, but I think I am something. And Paul is saying, such an attitude you are going to have to give an account to God for. Um, the, the, when, when a person ad, adopts this, they're basically saying, I'm better than you. And that just stinks of pride, which comes from the very devil himself. How dare I look on you as nothing because of your certain behaviours which are different to mine. I am demonstrating I'm full of pride. And do you remember, um, I love this verse, in, I love the analogies Jesus gives. In Matthew 7, do not judge or you too will be judged. You've heard that quoted a hundred times. But I love this verse, it's just so good. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Here it is. Stick it out of my face. <laughs> and I say, Larry, you got a speck in your eye. Look how you're behaving. And by such behaviour, what am I missing? I'm missing my own failings. I'm looking at other people's failings, not my own. And what Jesus is saying is, man alive, your failings are twice as bad. And it's not only failings that we're talking about here, but we're talking about differences. And to do that, as I said before, is to take an incredibly dangerous stance. It's a heart full of pride. And, and you know that verse, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And the humble accept those who have differences. Remember, we're accountable. And then lastly, have this ambition. Have a look at verse 19. Verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. That word there, make every effort, means to pursue and to catch and even to persecute. It's a very aggressive word. That's whoever worked out the word ambition for this was good. <laughs> this, this is a burning desire that that within my heart as I interact with the family of God I want peace and I want mutual 
edification. I want to grow a person's faith rather than damage that person's faith. Now listen to Paul's bluntness in 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. He's simply saying, just stop it. Cease. Gag it. Damn the walls of your thoughts of negativity in your mind. Damn them up. Don't let them overflow. Drum dry out. That should be our ambition, that I desire to see your faith grow, regardless of our differences in how we behave. Let me conclude with this story. Harry Ironside, who was a brother, tells the story of a Bishop Potter. And Bishop Potter actually told the story himself. Um, let, me, let me read it to you. I love the story. Uh, he was the Bishop of New York. And it says, The Bishop was sailing for Europe and found that he was to share a cabin with another passenger whom he did not know. And after he'd met his cabin mate, he went to the ship's purser and asked if he could leave his gold watch and other valuables in the ship's safe. He explained, in other words, when he looked at the guy he was going to be sharing a room with, he looked dodgy in every sense of the word. So he explained that he, he, he normally would not do that. But he'd been to his cabin, he'd met the man who was in the other berth, and he said that judging from his appearance, he was afraid that he might not be trustworthy. The person took his valuables to the store in the safe and said, I'll be glad to take care of them for you, Bishop. The other man has already been up here and left his valuables for the same rest. <laughs> Isn't it true? We never know the whole story. We never know the whole story. So why is it? that I can get upset because someone's not dressed like I think they should be dressed. Someone's kids are running around like I think they should be controlling the kids. Why is it? Why is it I can roll my eyes? Why is it I can say something behind the back of my mouth? Why is it I can put a loving look on my face but be thinking negative thoughts about a person which simply breeds lemon juice dripping out of my life and denigrates the name of Jesus will you make it your ambition pursue it that you are going to care for each other's faith and not let any differences come in and mar your fellowship your church must be like ours We've had people leave our church over a variety of different things which we won't go, go into. How do you go when you bump into them down the street? you still accept them? How have you gone this week when you've bumped into someone who, oh, they just... They drive me mad. They're so loud-mouthed. you accept them? Look, there will be 101 different differences amongst you guys here. But if you want to grow your faith, then it must come back to this point of saying, I'm going to love these people 
and accept them for who they are and pray they will do the same for me. Lord Jesus, we pray uh, that we as a fellowship here would grow in our understanding and caring for each other and know what are the real matters that we should stand and die for and in the meantime love each other for the differences that we exhibit. Bless us during this coming week and let it be, as Paula said, our ambition to bring peace and edification amongst all those whom we mix who love you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks, Abes.